Good morning, I'm Anna Palmer, and welcome to The Daily Punch, brought to you by Punchbowl News. It's Monday, July 31st, 2023. Let's get into the mix. Here are your Washington headlines of the day. Number one, former President Donald Trump ups the pressure on Republicans to move forward with an impeachment inquiry. Number two, a former business associate of Hunter Biden gets set to take center stage. And number three, inside the crypto vote in the House Financial Services Committee. All right, let's get into it. August recess is in full swing, although we are only in July 31st. But uh, the big news over the weekend with Congress out until early September and President Joe Biden spending the week at the beach is a look at former President Donald Trump and his increasingly strident push for Biden's impeachment. As Trump's legal problems worsen, he's gotten even more vocal about calling for House Republicans to act against Biden. This, of course, is going to become a big problem for Speaker Kevin McCarthy and vulnerable GOP lawmakers who find themselves in a difficult situation politically. Trump, fresh off a revised federal criminal indictment with more charges possible in Washington and Georgia, was talking about this Saturday night at a rally in Erie, Pennsylvania. He said that, quote, any Republican that doesn't act on Democrat fraud should be immediately primaried and get out. He also said if they're not willing to do it, we've got a lot of good, tough Republicans around. People are going to run against them and people are going to win. And they're going to get my endorsement every single time. Trump also called for linking additional Ukraine aid to whether, quote, the FBI, DOJ, and IRS turn every scrap of evidence they have on the Biden crime family's corrupt business dealings, end quote. We'll note that this is similar to what Trump was impeached for the first time, conditioning Ukraine aid on Biden-related investigations. Two Pennsylvania Republicans, Representatives Mike Kelly and Dan Miser, were at the Trump event. So let's put this into perspective because it's easy to just gloss over. The former president and GOP frontrunner for the 2024 nomination is calling for the impeachment of the sitting president and threatening rank and file Republicans who don't support this effort. It comes as Trump could be indicted for his role in the January 6th insurrection, during which he tried to overturn his loss in the 2020 election to Biden. McCarthy and House Republicans have tried to walk a very narrow line on this, but Trump seems determined to force them into action. House Republicans speak constantly about and definitely fundraise off every day Biden's alleged corruption. McCarthy raised the prospect of opening an impeachment inquiry against Biden last Monday night, only to back away the next day, at least somewhat. And McCarthy was also cautious during a later GOP conference meeting, telling his Republican colleagues that the leadership will wait to see what congressional investigators find before moving forward. Meanwhile, a big part of the House legislative agenda, cutting spending by tens of billions of dollars, is stalled, with the prospect of a government shutdown now looming in September. Having Trump threaten his 2024 vulnerables who aren't rushing to sign on to any impeachment push is potentially disastrous for McCarthy and the Republican leadership. Here's Representative Don Bacon, the Republican from Nebraska. Speaker McCarthy is in the right spot on this. He said last Wednesday that the Judiciary and Oversight Committees will continue to investigate the most recent allegations, which are serious. 
He said it's too early for an impeachment inquiry. I believe the speaker is right. Let's not follow Pelosi's example by cutting corners on impeachment. So what was Bacon referring to there? He was referring to former Speaker Nancy Pelosi's decision to open an impeachment inquiry after a whistleblower came forward in July 2019 to to disclose that Trump pressured Ukrainian officials to launch an investigation of the Bidens by withholding $400 million in military aid. A majority of Pelosi's caucus had wanted to impeach Trump before then, but Pelosi held off until the Ukraine scandal broke. In this case, only a fraction of House Republicans are backing the various impeachment resolutions that have already been introduced. Although the drumbeat is growing louder every day on the right, Trump's comments are his most aggressive yet in warning McCarthy about the fallout for the speaker if it doesn't happen soon. Meanwhile, House Democrats, for their part, have dismissed Trump's latest barrage as just more inflammatory rhetoric from the former president. All right, let's move on to the number two story of the morning investigation tracker. All eyes on Hunter Biden's business associate because he's going to be testifying. Devin Archer, a former business associate of Hunter Biden's, is expected to sit for a transcribed interview this morning in front of the House Oversight Committee to discuss his knowledge of the business dealings of President Joe Biden's son. Despite some last minute drama and accusations from House Republicans, Uh, on the oversight committee that the Justice Department was trying to suppress Archer's testimony, both Democratic and GOP oversight aides told us they expect Archer to appear. Comer issued a subpoena to compel Archer to testify in June, arguing Archer played, quote, a significant role in the Biden family's business deals abroad, including China, Russia, and Ukraine. Archer will tell the oversight panel that Hunter Biden placed then-Vice President Biden on speakerphone for conversations with business partners, the New York Post reported last week. This claim is significant because of the alleged direct connection between Hunter's deals and Joe Biden, a link that congressional Republicans have failed to definitively establish thus far. Archer served on the board of the Ukrainian natural gas company Burisma with Hunter Biden. Archer and two others were convicted on unrelated charges in 2018 for defrauding a Native American tribe out of $60 million of bonds. A long legal odyssey, Archer was sentenced to a year in prison in order to forfeit more than $15.7 million. Archer and his co-defendants also must make restitution on the other $43 million they swindled from the tribe. Archer's appeal failed recently, meaning that he can be asked to report to prison as the Justice Department did on Saturday. Republicans, including James Comer, uh, asserted that DOJ officials were trying to interfere with Archer's appearance. However, a federal prosecutor later said in a court filing that, quote, the government does not request and has never requested the defendant surrender before his congressional testimony. Archer's lawyer, lawyer also told Politico's Kyle Cheney and Jordan Carney that they, don't, they didn't think that there was any effort to stop Archer from testifying. We will be watching that very closely to see what comes out of that testimony. And let's go on to the number three story of the morning from The Vault. The House Financial Services Committee advanced long-awaited legislation to regulate stablecoins late last week. It wasn't as bipartisan as it could have been, though, and now the finger-pointing has begun. Five Democrats ultimately did back the Republican-drafted Clarity for Payment Stablecoins Act, 
no small feat for chair Patrick McHenry. But the bill lacks support from ranking member Representative Maxine Waters, the Democrat from California, and other senior Democrats who could prove it decisive as the bill's move moves through Congress. So you have heard us talk a ton on this podcast about this topic in particular and the core issue that divided Waters and McHenry in negotiations, a lack of direct federal oversight for state-chartered non-bank stablecoin companies in the proposed legislation. But in recent days, we've also begun to hear a lot more complaints about quote-unquote third parties involved in the negotiations. Representative French Hill, the Republican from Arkansas, said in an interview Friday that he believed a deal could have been struck with Waters quote, if there were not other voices that had been heavily engaged in the analysis. Who are they talking about? Both the White House and the New York Department of Financial Services, led by Superintendent Adrian Harris, played a pivotal role in conversations around the bill. Harris's advocacy was a key reason the legislation's supporters coalesced around having a state-only path for stablecoin firms. The Biden administration's Lael Brainerd led the opposition to that, the lawmakers said. Say a former Fed governor and vice chair, Brainerd now serves as director of the National Economic Council. Talking to Lael Brainerd, we had all been talking about the same concerns, Waters told us. We want real federal involvement in stablecoins. So this is going to be very interesting to watch, particularly if Waters remains unconvinced that this is the path forward for stable coins uh, in terms of getting other Democrats on board in the House. Uh, certainly going to be an issue for uh, um, McHenry and the effort that he has been trying to make this as bipartisan as possible. We will see if that opposition remains. With that, thanks so much for listening. We appreciate it. If you like The Daily Punch, please share us on social media. Give us a rating and review. It's the best way for folks to find out about us. You can also sign up for our free morning newsletter at punchbowl.news. Have a great day and stay safe.